Good morning. This Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to take some time uh, to talk to you uh, about the afterlife. What happens and what does the Bible teach us about what happens when our time on this is, is over, when we've run our course? What does the Bible say is happening? We're going to talk about this this Sunday and next Sunday, and then we're going to go into our Christmas series and talk to you about some of the great truths of Christmas that will build your faith. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground and the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being father we thank you for your word and we pray you just uh, let it strengthen our faith today. Let it teach us today. Let us grow in it today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we don't like to think about it. it, it it's not something that, you know, we, we find uh, uh, on our mind all the time. We kind of push it outside. But sometimes the thought process is kind of forced upon us. Somebody that we love. Uh, dies. And, and we come face to face with this reality that nobody escapes that. Everybody in this room, if the Lord tarries, if he doesn't return, everybody in this room will more than likely, probably everybody in this room will be gone a hundred years from now. Some of us a lot sooner than that. But here's what the Bible presents. This is the hope that the Bible presents to us. The Bible presents that we are, mankind is, a living being. That God, specifically and especially with us, breathed into us a breath of life, and we became a living being. Now, we sit here today made up of body, soul, and spirit. And I would tell you today that because God breathed that into us, we will exist forever. Eternity awaits us after we leave this earth. When this body ceases to exist, the living being that we are, will not cease to exist. In Hebrews chapter 9, it gives us a, a brief picture of this. It says, just as it is appointed unto man to die once. And I, I want to be clear with you and remind you, the Bible talks about two deaths. The first death is the death of the body. Death in the Bible doesn't mean a ceasing to exist. Death in the Bible means separation. 
And the first death, the one that we are all appointed to, is when this body and the soul and the spirit are separated from the body. And this body ceases to function. But we don't. It says, and after we die once, and after that comes the judgment. The body is under the curse of sin, and it will die, but the soul and the spirit will go to stand before God. When Stephen, the first martyr, was being stoned, he looked into the heavens and he said, I commend to you my spirit. He knew his body was dying, but he knew his spirit was going to go and stand before God. When Jesus was on the cross and the thief that was one of the thieves that were there asked for mercy, Jesus looked at him and didn't say, well, we're about to die and we're going to be done with this. He said, no. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, listen, friends. There are many, many things that we have wrong in our thinking uh, about eternal life. Some of this concept about life after death comes to us from songs people sing, both Christian songs and secular songs. Some confusion about this comes from our culture. Some comes from bad teaching. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to touch on, a, on some of them. I, I just want to tell you, we can't clear all of them up. But we're going to touch on a couple of things that we need to understand about life after, after death. Uh, and here is one that is biblically sound that we all need to understand. When, when the flesh dies, our essence, who we are, our soul and our spirit, will go and stand before God for judgment. Yours will, mine will, will stand there before God. And this judgment is pass-fail. You're either in or you're out. You either get to continue before God or you're separated from. This is the second death that the Bible warns us about that we need to be prepared to escape. The second death is separation from God for all eternity. Nobody, nobody wants to face that. In John 3, 36, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now listen, there's a difference between eternal existence and eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son puts their faith in Him, trusts in Him, trusts in Him to be their Savior, follows Him as their Lord. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not, listen, obey the Son shall not see life. This belief calls me to obey. But the wrath of God remains on him. Now, friends, in our society today, here's one of the pitifully ignorant statements that our culture pushes on us uh, about, about life after death. It takes all the different religions of the world, and it says that they're simply different ways to heaven. That there are many ways to be pleasing before God and to make it. And yet when you honestly look at the various religions, when you look at what they teach, 
they describe afterlives that are completely different. They describe the process of getting there completely differently. They describe moral life and how we see life differently. These are ignorant, unlearned statements when people begin to say all religions lead to the same place. Jesus taught us that there was only one way to heaven, and that is by faith in him. Now, friends, either he was telling us the truth or he was lying to us. He said there's only one way to heaven, only one way to be pleasing before God. Now, listen, some people who call themselves Christians have different opinions even inside of what they would call Christianity about what happens at judgment. Now, I'm going to give you, give you three of these. Uh, one group says uh, that simply it's annihilation, that the person who's wicked, the person who hasn't lived to please God, uh, that person just simply ceases to exist. Uh, another set of teaching teaches what we call universalism, which says that, no, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody's forgiven. But what the Bible really teaches, what it clearly teaches to anyone who will read it and anyone who will honestly study it, what it clearly teaches is that we are all going to exist for eternity in one of two places. We will either exist in the presence of God or what we would call, you know, in a general sweeping way, heaven. Maybe many places, but heaven in the presence of God, pleased to, being, being pleasing to God and in right communion with him. Or we are going to exist for eternity and separation from God in what the Bible calls hell. Eternal damnation, separation from God. So let's be clear. What does the Bible teach and say? And especially, what does Jesus say? In, in, in the 1850 verses in the New Testament that record the words of Jesus... Now listen, you can look at the New Testament and say all of it is Jesus' words. But in what many of us see in our Bibles as the red letters that are supposed to be direct quotes from him upon, that are direct quotes from him upon this earth, 13% of those 1,850 verses, Jesus deals with the subject of judgment and hell. Think about that. 13% of what he says. He's warning us about judgment. He's warning us about eternal separation from God. In fact, Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. Now, that's kind of startling, isn't it? He talked more about the negative thing that we needed to avoid than even the positive thing that we should strive to go to. 
There are 46 separate verses that Jesus himself spoke about hell and destruction. He warned us over and over again about the consequences of sin. In the story that Jesus tells that is recorded at the end of Matthew, when he talks about judgment, he talks about the sheep and the goats and the people coming before God. He says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. The goats, those who didn't do what God had told them to do, they're going to go away unto eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In this story, Jesus teaches that heaven is real. And because of that, we can think about loved ones who have gone before us, and we can rejoice today. We'll talk more about heaven next week and what's happening with those people that have gone before us uh, right now. What's, what, are, what are they doing? We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But he talks about a very real heaven, a place where we are, will eternally be in the presence of God and where our minds will be right, our souls will be right, and we'll, we'll cover a lot of that next week. But he equally, in fact, sometimes even more often, talks about hell. He talks about both of them as real places, not just stories, not just states of mind, but of real physical places. And he talks about them with the utmost seriousness. In Mark chapter 9, he says this. These words are recorded. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, or with one eye than with two to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus describes hell in the worst possible terms. No comfort there for all eternity. Eternal thirst for all eternity. He describes it as a place of fire that is never ceasing and from which we do not cease to exist, but where the, peop the people who are there are tormented throughout all of life. He talks about it being uh, a bottomless pit. One of the great misconceptions that you hear people say is, yeah, I, I want to go to hell and be with my friends. Let me remind you, hell has no friends. Hell has no, there's nobody there that's going to be happy to be there or happy to hang out with you. The only thing that's going to happen in that point in time, if there's any communication at all, is there's going to be your your pain and your anger at anyone who encouraged you on the path to, a life, to an eternity without God and their anger and their frustration at you for encouraging you on a path of eternity separated from God. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing redemptive about it. There's nothing about it that makes us go, oh, well, there'll be some measure of comfort there. It is a place of, of, of absolute Pain and suffering and separation from God. The Bible talks about uh, the worm that doesn't die. 
Now, what is that? Many theologians believe it's, it's very simply this. Do you, do you have anything in your life right now that uh, you regret that you did? Am I the only one who has things in my life that I regret that I did? I have a lot of things. I, I, I could wish I'd go back and fix that. I wish I'd go back and say something different. I wish I'd go back and do something different. That, and, 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 you know, if it's really bad, if you've really done something bad, it can gnaw on you. Just eat away at you. Just kind of, you're like, oh, God, please forgive me for that. God, heal them for what I said. Heal them from what I did. God, I'm so sorry I was ever a part of that. Why did I ever think that way? Why did I ever act that way? Why did I ever do that? It just kind of gnaws on you. That regret. Now, we get this picture at the end of the millennium where Jesus, where God steps into all those in heaven and he wipes away every tear. You know what that is? He's taken away all of our regrets. All those things are wiped away. And we live on without them. There's no picture of that in hell. There's no picture in hell of our regrets being wiped away. Listen, friend, if you end up in hell separated from God, this day will play in your mind for eternity. This hour will play in your mind for eternity. Every other time somebody talked to you about surrendering your life to Christ, every other time somebody appealed to you to turn and walk another way, it's going to play for eternity. And you're going to think, I could have been in heaven today. I could, I could have spent my eternity in the presence of God. I could have been with all the others in heaven today. But instead... I chose in that temporary short few days I had upon the earth to reject the greatest message to all mankind that I could find eternity in heaven with God. I rejected it. And that worm will never, ever cease. In the midst of all of it, you'll be reminded, I could have escaped that. It's hard for us at times to get our minds around people going to hell. Now, here's one of the reasons for it. We kind of look at everybody around us, and we kind of measure ourselves up according to everybody around us, and we think, well, I'm pretty good, and they're pretty good, and my kids are pretty good, so we must be okay. But you've got to realize we're measuring ourselves up against each other. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. When we see God in his greatness... When we see God in his holiness, we will know in, an, in a moment, if you haven't realized it yet, you will be aware of it then, that we, that we deserve to be separated from his presence forever. Men, men mankind, holds the power of death there are people that if they could, they would kill you and me just because we're Americans. There are people who rest in places of power that hold power over the lives of other people. God not only holds the power of death, God, when we see him, we're going to realize holds the power of life. He breathes worlds into existence. The reasons the worlds stay in place is because of his power. He is the gravity of the universe. 
He is the one that makes everything work. He is the computer that leads everything. He is the essence of all power and all life and all things. It all comes from him. He is the center of it all. He is the one that by, by which everything else exists. And when we come into his presence and we see that, we're not going to say, hey, pal, good to see you. We're going to fall on our knees and confess that he is Lord. This isn't like walking into a, a, a superstar's dressing room and meeting a superstar for the first time and being a little bit in awe of, of who they are. This isn't like meeting some great athlete and going, oh, I'm really, I got to hang out with so-and-so for a little while. I got their autograph. This isn't like meeting somebody in a great position of political power and going, oh, man, I got to meet so-and-so today. No, this is the creator of the universe. This is another being altogether. And when you walk into his presence, this presence that permeates all of the universe, who rests over it and through it, who is our Lord and our King, who gives us life itself, we're going to realize how undeserving we are to be in his presence. And we're going to realize that we do not deserve heaven for our own, this all that all power comes from him. And his character is perfect. Now, let me tell you where I struggle. Let me tell you where sometimes in my flesh it's hard for me to imagine it, but it's true nonetheless. We're going to know in a moment, in a moment, we're going to know that our children don't deserve to go to heaven. In a moment. Now, I raise my kids, and I know their weaknesses and strengths, so I can get my mind about halfway around that. You know where I really struggle? My grandkids don't deserve to go to heaven. When I look at them, you know, you may see something imperfect in them, I'm grandpa, I get, to, I get to celebrate the perfection. Is that right? I get to celebrate all the good things, and when my kids come over and say, listen, they're being punished, they don't get cookies today, I go, not at this house. This is Amnesty House right here. This is the house of grace and mercy. When they walk in this door, all is forgiven that happened anyplace else. They're in my house now. And the thought that once I see the living God, I'm going to realize clearly and, and, and wholly these little bundles of perfection deserve eternity separated from God. That's, that's hard for me to get my, my mind around. But think about this for a moment. The people of Noah's day after the flood, where do you think they're spending eternity? Do you think that when they die, God just said to them, oh, well, I'm going to leave Noah down there to figure things out. All of you get to come into heaven. That's sure not the picture the Bible gives us. 
And yet every one of them was somebody's kids. Every one of them was somebody's grandkid. When God led Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah and judgment set on Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot got to stay on this earth a while longer, what do you think happened? Did they welcome all those people of Sodom and Gomorrah into heaven? They were somebody's kids. They were somebody's grandkids. We can look at those pictures at times and soothe ourselves a bit that these are, these are the worst people. They were doing really terrible things. My kids, me, we're not really that bad. But in Romans chapter 7, we get this picture. We get this central truth of who we are. In Romans chapter 7, it says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if, we had not, if, but if, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. Here's what the, this passage is teaching us. It's teaching us to look at the law and to understand that the law reveals to us what separates us from God. That the law shows us what the lawbreaker is. And the law teaches us that we cannot make ourselves clean. That we cannot, on our own, get to heaven but that we need something else to happen. The law is given to us clearly and simply to know our condition. Our condition. Have you ever lied? If you've ever lied, you're guilty of breaking the law. Have you ever stolen? Have you ever taken something out of your mom's purse that wasn't yours? Have you ever taken something at work that wasn't yours? Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? Guilty. We become guilty. Have you ever coveted, been jealous of what somebody else has and wanted it for yourself and thought in your heart, they don't deserve it, I should have it? Then we're guilty. Have you ever been prideful? Then we're guilty. Have you ever wanted something more than you wanted, uh, than you wanted to please God? then we're guilty. The law reveals to us our guilt. It shows us who we are. It shows us what we are, and it shows us what we deserve. The law of God reveals that we are all sinners. We've all lived life our own way. We've all done our own thing, and that there is none good, no, not one. And we come to the cross that again shows us the horror of hell. The price Jesus paid so we wouldn't have to go to hell. And it reminds us that there's a real hell. Why would Jesus have to go to the cross if there was no hell? He reveals it. He shows it. But at the same moment, he shows the great loving grace of God and he says there's only one way to escape the horror of this and that's to, uh, to accept the grace that I offer through the cross for you and for me. Now why should we talk about this? Well, one of the reasons we should talk about it is to have a greater appreciation of our own salvation and how much we've been spared 
Listen, when you understand that, you can have the worst week of your life and come in here and praise and worship God. Because it's not about how, how well your week's going this week. It's about how great he is and how loving he is. It gives us this deep appreciation that we have fallen short of his glory, and yet he still sent his son to pay the price for you and me. Let me tell you the second reason we should talk about this. Uh, we should talk about this because when we understand that there's a heaven and a hell, it gives us a greater desire to witness. I, I, I always loved it when my kids were growing up. I'm loving it now as my grandkids are growing up. I'm really at a couple of key points with a couple of my grandkids right now where our conversations are deep and meaningful. Not every one of them, but many of them are deep and meaningful. And it gives me this chance to speak into them about eternal life, about who we are, about how we, want, need, to, we need to surrender our life to Christ. When we understand, when you're looking in the eyes as, of a child, you're looking in the eyes of a friend, you're looking in the eyes of a co-worker, and you come to this realization, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And if they don't get their life right with Christ, it's eternity separated from God. It drives us to have serious conversations with people that we care about. It calls us to be a witness. Every co-worker you work with, every neighbor around your house, everybody that you know, every relative that you know, everyone's going to spend eternity someplace. And the only hope for them is Jesus. That's the hope. So why should you invite, why should you take this little letter we give you today and send it to somebody? Because they're going to spend eternity somewhere. We want to speak to them and call them. Why should you take an invite card and invite uh, people at restaurants and invite people? You say, oh, Pastor, you can invite people at restaurants all the time. I invited somebody from a restaurant just a couple weeks ago, and they showed up that Sunday. I'm telling you, if you invite people, they'll come. Invite people. Oh, say, well, I invite people, they didn't come. There'll be some who won't come. But there'll be others who come. Listen, the statistics tell us that over 70% of the people who come to Christ come to Christ because somebody invited them to something where they were told about how to get saved. Think about that. This, is a, this takes all the pressure of evangelism to some extent. This really takes a lot of the pressure. Just bring them to church. Don't do anything else. Just bring them to the house of God and let God do his thing. Let God move in their life. You're sitting here today and somebody's brought you. They brought you with the hope that you'll let God do something in your life. That you'll not only discover the life that he offers for eternity, but you'll discover the life that he offers now and that he blesses us with today. But this call, when we understand that everybody we see, when we become aware of it, when you, when you can walk through a mall and begin to be aware, all of these people are going to spend eternity somewhere. God, what's my role? I'll tell you what, it makes me generous in giving. It makes me want to support missionaries going around the world. It makes me want to talk to people. It makes me want to call you to invite people. It makes me want to stand up here and say, listen, all of us should be inviting people to come and meet Jesus. 
every one of us who know him should be calling others to know him so they can escape what we all deserve. And finally today, this is to help us walk in holiness by fearing God. When I was in the Oasis, I used to challenge the teenagers there to be radical Christians. And it's almost like you're saying this word that in itself should just be embedded in it. Being a Christian is a radical way of living. Today I would say to you we should be serious Christians. But again, we shouldn't have to add the word seriousness on it. If you're a Christian, you understand these things. You should be committed to the cause. Back 12 years ago, Barna did a poll. And, and this is what he said at the end of this, and I don't think things have gotten any better. He says, although a large majority of the public claim to be deeply spiritual and say that their religious faith is very important in their life, only 15% of those who regularly attend a Christian church rank their relationship with God as the top priority in their life. He goes on to say, American Christians are not as devoted to their faith as they like to believe. They have positive feelings about the importance of faith, but their faith is rarely the focal point of their life or a critical factor in their decision-making. In other words, they don't consider God's will. They don't consider how God would have them to act. They don't consider who, what Christ has done for them. The change. They just go about making their decisions. And here's part of the reason. The average person in the, in the Western world today feels almost no real threat from the teaching about hell. It doesn't push us towards holiness. It doesn't push us to clean up our life. It doesn't push us to do anything. Now, why, why do we do that? Yeah, because, well, Pastor, we're under grace. I am so thankful for grace. Because here, here's the bottom. None of us make it without grace. None of us make it without grace. But listen to these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day... Listen, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Didn't we teach Sunday school? Didn't we run a small group? Didn't we give at the church? Didn't we do a lot of things in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Who are these people cast into darkness? These are people, he's talking about people who are going to call themselves Christians. But they don't do what he says. They don't let their heart be transformed. Now, truly, there's, there's many people who call themselves Christians who never darken the door of the church and promote all kinds of things that are ungodly. I, I actually saw a picture of a group of pastors recently dedicating an abortion clinic. That just blows my mind. It just blows my mind that you got a bunch of pastors out there 
praying over something like this. So there's many that even go to church, people who go to church, people who call themselves pastors, that when they stand before God, their heart was never really changed. Church-going people, people who were never truly, sincerely surrendered to Christ and to his will. Maybe at one time they, they surrendered their life to Christ, but they held on to pride, they held on to arrogance, they held on to their political and personal agendas. These are people of some religious conviction, maybe even raised in church, that went through all the right steps or were raised in a Christian family, but they never, ever bowed their heart to the lordship of Christ in their life. And here's the troubling part. They think they have. They think they're all right. In that moment of judgment, they're going to be surprised. They're going to say, Lord, didn't, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? I'll tell you what, every time I read that verse, it makes me tremble. It makes me bow my heart before God and say, God, please, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me any place where I'm falling short of you. The sincere heart is quick to repent. The sincere heart is hungry to change. The sincere heart is teachable and hum humble. The sincere heart wants to be right before God. And when they hear the truth, they clean up their language, their morals, their actions, their priorities. They live to please God daily, for their hope is in Him. These people are not surprised that some people will go to hell. They are surprised that God offers them a way to heaven. They grasp it. They grab a hold of their salvation with all their might, and they ask God to hold on to them, and they let nothing shake them from their hope in God and their desire to please Him. Listen, friend, you're going to exist for eternity. Your children are going to exist for eternity. Your grandchildren are going to exist for eternity. Your family and friends are going to exist for eternity someplace. If you're not ready, you can get ready today. If you are ready, it should be driving you to holiness, and it should be driving you to be a witness, and it should be, you should be filled with a grateful heart. Friends, in just a few weeks, my daughter Lydia, Lydia came to live with us when she was six through uh, one of our great friends in our church, met this family with a great need, and we thought we would take her in for a few weeks. She's ended up being with us now for 16, you know, seven, almost 17 years, raised in our home. On December 14th, she gets married, and... Uh, It's hard to believe, but we're thrilled for marrying a fine Christian young man. And uh, that night, you're all invited to come if you want to come and celebrate with us. But her family, the family on, on her husband, the B side, has been through uh, a, a, just a devastating set of circumstances in the last few weeks. If you think about them, please pray for them. And the wedding that's coming up doesn't make it easier, it kind of makes it harder. Uh, Trey's cousin uh, got married just a couple of weeks ago. And a uh, beautiful wedding. We've been able to see pictures of it and see the things that have happened, that happened at it. 
And uh, one of the big things at this wedding, they were out on a ranch in Texas, and they got in a helicopter to fly uh, to the airport to leave for their honeymoon. And so they'd had this whole day of celebration, this whole day of a wedding and, and all the family and friends being there celebrating this uh, Christian young couple, now married. And a, a little bit while after the helicopter left, the, they began to get calls from the airport that the helicopter hadn't arrived. And they began to check into things, and the pilot and his wife and the bride and groom had crashed in the hills just outside the ranch, and all of them lost their lives. You can imagine how devastated that family is. If you think about them, please pray for them. But here is the one hope they have. The one hope they have is that this life is temporary, that the comfort of God can be with them, and this young man, this young woman were living for God. We don't understand it all. We don't grasp it all. It's devastating. And here's the reminder. They're supposed to be on their honeymoon. They're supposed to be planning the rest of their life on this earth together, working towards it. But instead, they're in eternity. None of us know what this week holds. None of us know what tomorrow holds. And this is why Jesus so clearly tells us, be ready today, for no man knows the day or the hour. We don't know the day or the hour when our life on this earth will end. We don't know the day and the hour that he'll return. And we play with our eternities. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, as we think about eternity today, we don't want to be in that crowd that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, didn't we do that? When we never surrendered our heart to you. I pray today, Lord, that you would stir in, in our spirits and that we would clearly know our condition before you. Lord, stir in the spirit of every believer here today that we would have compassion on the lost around us, that we would understand our role in living a life in front of the lost that would be compelling and of living a life before the loss that would give us a voice to speak your truth into their lives. Father, even now, lay upon our hearts the names of people you'd have us to invite just to a Christmas celebration. And Father, begin to prepare that night and begin to prepare every word that's said that night to call people to surrender their life to you and to awaken our awareness of our need for you. And Lord, I pray today that 
This would not be a day of hesitation, but it would be a day of action. You've acted in our behalf. Now, Lord, for those who need to act today, to surrender their heart to you today, that they would take this moment and act and receive the hope of your Son in their life today. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You'll say, Pastor, I need to ask Christ into my life today. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to put my faith in him today for all eternity. Just raise your hand right now in Jesus' name. I'm not going to wait a long time. I'm just looking to see if you're ready to receive Christ in your life today. You raise your hand right now. God bless you. I see that hand. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me today. I see other hands that have been raised. God bless you. Anyone else today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. I see those hands. God loves you both, cares about you. God bless you. I see that hand. Others today, you'll say, I want to make sure my heart's right with God. I want to make sure my heart's right with God. Anyone else today? Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Lord. I put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior. Now help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prayer teams, would you come on down to the front today? In these next few moments, we're going to sing a song. If you have any need in your life, come down and let somebody pray for you. But especially today, listen, if you just raise your hand, we believe that simply praying this prayer puts our belief in Christ. He, he calls, to, he, he reaches out to everyone who calls on his name. But we want to help you in this walk with God. And I want to encourage you to come down and let somebody pray with you. God bless you for coming right now. Let others come and, and God will bless you. Now moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, listen to me. Take the moments in your life with your kids and grandkids to have the serious talks of faith with them. To point to them. Live your life in front of them in a way that will show the light of the gospel and let your words share with them the truth of the gospel. Friends and neighbors, invite them. Encourage them. Let's live our life in a way to invite others that they can escape eternal separation from God and find eternal life in Him. If you have a need of any kind, if you raised your hand, come down while we sing this song. And after that, uh, the rest will be dismissed. Please stay while people come and then you'll be dismissed to go. I love you. God bless you today.